Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 171. Today, I want to ask you to join me in reading through part of Psalm 78. In the context of this week and a call to action, a call to teach the next generation, a call to get back to the book of God, to the authority of the Bible, and to make the scriptures our source of inspiration, our source of authority, our source of guidance in life, instead of humanistic thinking and centering everything we do around ourselves and man. It is a secular philosophy that says we don't need God. It is humanistic to say that we are not created in the image of God, but we are the products of random chance. At some point, American Christianity and those who name the name of Jesus are going to have to make a decision as to whether we are going to accept the words of the Bible as truth or whether we are going to accept the fallacies of man and the ever-changing sciences that can never make up its mind from day to day and year to year as to how we arrived here. God has told us that he made us in his image. We have lost not just one, but perhaps three generations. Certainly from the 1950s, we have seen a steady decline in the homes and the home life of America. The divorce rate is through the roof, and now young people are not even getting married because now, again, without taking the standards of the Word of God, they figure that they can just live and not be committed to each other and live in a relationship that is not committed, that is not committed to God, committed to each other, and somehow they can experience the blessing of God. Sin never causes the hand of God to come upon us. Sometimes God blesses in spite of us, but God never blesses because of sin. The psalmist in Psalm 78, it's called a contemplation of Asap, one of the great singers of David's court. Here is what he said. It is instructive, 72 verses, one of the longest psalms that is written. And it says, give ear, O my people, to my law. The word law there is Torah, T-O-R-A. That is the Hebrew name for the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, as Jesus called them. And these are the instructions of God. You see, the word Torah doesn't mean law, and we've made it synonymous with law, and that's okay. But the word means instruction because it's much more than just the Ten Commandments or the ceremonial law of God. It is instruction on how we got here, how God made everything, how we got in the mess that we're in through the fall and the giving in of temptation and how Adam chose Eve over God. 
and chose to live independently from God. It tells the great story of the destruction of the flood and how man became so self-centered and globalistic that he wanted to join himself together with everyone else on earth, and somehow he felt that gave him power, and God had to destroy the earth. And then the Tower of Babel, once again, in the 11th chapter, of the book of Genesis. And then Abraham comes on the scene. All of that great book of Genesis and book of origins and the books that go together to make that book up. Then the story of the Exodus, the way out of Egypt, the wilderness wanderings, all of those things and the summary of the law in the book of Deuteronomy and the rehearsal of the law before the people went into the promised land 40 years after they had left Egyptian bondage. All of that is instruction. You see, law is not just do's and don'ts. It's knowing God. It's knowing the will of God, the way of God. And so here is what the psalmist says, give ear, O my people, to my instruction, to my Torah. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. The word incline there is the word to stretch out, to extend, to bend. It's the idea of making effort. You see, if we're going to study the word of God and be the families and the men and women and the children and the teenagers that God wants us to be, then it's going to cost us something. We're going to have to stretch out. We're going to have to bend over. We're going to have to make an effort. It's intentional. You don't just wander into the will of God. As a matter of fact, you wander away from God. You don't have to do anything to drift. Just stay where you are and do nothing and you will drift. If you're going to make progress, you've got to be intentional. If you're going to coast, you can just go downhill, and that's the only way you'll coast. But if you're going to go to the next level upward, then you're going to have to make effort. So he says, give ear, O my people, to my Torah. Stretch out your ears. Listen intentionally. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. That's the idea of a riddle, an enigmatic saying that has a perplexing question to it. You see, all of the Bible answers are not easy. We don't even want to challenge our children anymore. We want to make everything easy for them. And in doing that, we have harmed them. I can sure tell you as a parent, if I had things to do over again, I would have not rescued my children many times. I would have let them struggle through things that I tried to save them from. Sometimes God gets our children in hard places so that they can learn. And we try to get them out as quickly as we can so that God can't teach them the lessons. That's not our intention. It's just what we do. And so he says, I will utter dark sayings, perplexing questions of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. Here is what he says. We will not hide them from our children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Isn't that an amazing statement? The Bible says we don't need to hide from our children what God has done. We need to tell people what he's done. We need to tell our own families what he's done. We need to teach our children, men, women, moms, dads. We need to teach our children the great stories of the Bible. Years ago, a dear friend of mine and mentor and seminary president told me when I asked him, what is the greatest challenge that you're facing today? And what is the difference between now and the 2000s? And in the 70s, when I came to Bible college and came to Bible school to study, what's the difference? And he immediately said, with all of his advisors and cabinets sitting with him, nodding in agreement, 
The students that are coming now to seminary don't know the great stories of God. You see, in our Sunday schools and our small groups and our churches, we've gotten more fancy than God. We have taught all of these little ditties, and we have tried to make the stories of the Bible appealing, and we have made the parables into parables. We just need to tell the stories. There's hardly any more exciting story than the stories that are found in Genesis and Exodus. As a matter of fact, now for 3,400 years, the Jews have been telling the same story over and over again in the Passover and in the feast and in the festivals, and they never get old. Why? Because repetition is the mother of learning. We need to teach the great stories of Joseph, of Moses, of Joshua and of all of the judges. Yes, they had their faults, but we need to tell the stories because we have our faults. And so he said, tell the stories, the praises of the Lord to the next generation of his strength and his wonderful works. This is the concept of a miracle. You see, we talk about the miracle of Santa Claus. We talk about the miracle of this, the miracle of that. And those things are not true. Why don't we tell the truth and tell the stories of God and the great miracles? Don't try to explain them away and turn to the TLC and Discovery Channel and all of these channels that try to explain away the miracles naturally. You can't explain what God does in a natural way. The miracle of the Red Sea was a parting of the Red Sea where the Bible says that the waves and the water stood up on either side, stood up. And that they walked across on dry land, and the same waters then drowned the armies of Pharaoh. Tell the truth. That's just the way God presented it. And either it's true or it's a lie. And if it's a lie, then none of us have any foundation to stand upon. And so just tell the truth. It's exciting. Children will love them. They are colorful stories. Just in the book of Genesis, you could spend a year just telling the stories over and over again. The Bible says, for he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed Torah in Israel, verse 5, which he commanded our fathers that look at this, that they should make them known to their children. What is wrong with teaching the Ten Commandments? What is wrong with teaching? teaching the truths and instructions of God's Word. You say, well, you can't be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. Yes, and you probably never will be saved unless you understand you've broken the instruction and the law of God. Charles Spurgeon said they're like God's ten white horses that he uses to plow up the ground, the hard soil of our soul and our spirit. And we need to allow God and His Spirit as we teach that life is wrong, that putting anyone or anything else in front of God is idolatry, that we are not to covet another person's possessions or their wife or their husband. We are not to envy them. We are not to be jealous of them. We are to be faithful to God. Those are things that we need to teach to the next generation. That the generation to come, verse 6, might know and that the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. Now, it's interesting that word arise is a fancy word for stand up. We need to teach our children to stand up. It may not be popular to stand, but we need to teach our children to do the right thing. 
You see, we're really enamored with teaching our children about their rights. You have the right to do this. You have the right to do that. Well, it's okay to teach about the rights that God has endowed us with and given us here while we have them in this constitutional republic in which we live. But it's far more important, far more important than teaching our rights is teaching our children to do the right thing. And that's modeled through us. And may God help us to do that. Why would we do that? Look at verse 7, so that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. You see, what we talk about and what we emphasize is what's important. And our children see what we get excited about. If we get excited about their grades, then they know that school and academics is more important than anything to us. If we get excited about their sports play and about something that they do, then they see that's what's uh, important to us. And if we, in a lackluster way, get up and, you know, hum-haw and and uh, think that church is optional and there's something, if we don't have a game to do or we don't have a outing to do, it's okay to go to church, that it's a little nice to do. Don't you think our children are smart enough to see that? He said that they may set their hope in God, teach them so that they may stand and declare them one day to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. And for all of 72 verses, Verses, it goes on in the book of Psalm 78 to talk about all the ways that the children of Israel fail. But listen to this. Verse 68, but out of the midst of all of their rebellion, God chose the tribe of Judah. And Mount Zion, Mount Zion, which he loves, that's Jerusalem. That's that 10 acre city of David that many of you have walked with me through And it says, he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth, which he has established forever. And in the midst of all of the chaos of the united monarchy under Saul and his disobedience, it says he also chose David, his servant. He took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had brought forth young to him, to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. Isn't it amazing? It seemed like when the kingdom was falling apart, God had already, unbeknownst to anyone except Samuel and Jesse and his other sons, that David was being anointed for a day that was coming. You see, God always is raising up someone, a leader somewhere. You might be that leader. It might be your son. It might be your daughter. God knows, but it is our responsibility to teach the next generation because who knows, but that next generation leader may be someone that's in our own home. But if we don't fulfill our responsibility and teach our children and our grandchildren, how will they know? Are we expecting the church to do that? Churches don't even preach the word of God anymore as a whole. They're just giving niceties and platitudes and how to get rich and how to name it and claim it and how to do this or that. But the great truths of God are rarely taught from the pulpit anymore. And they're usually not taught in Sunday school and small groups. No, that's all about activities and how to get along with one another. But if we're going to teach the truth of God, we're going to have to do that ourselves. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. 
Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.